G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, um, good to be with you again. Hard to know where one round finishes and the next one starts right at the moment, but this is the round six preview version of the Footyology Podcast. As I say, a very good welcome to you, Mark Fine. Good morning, Rowan. And Rowan, that was very full. Yes, oh, you know... We'd have to go back many, many years, but Rowan and Mark is very much like a famous combination that if it would have been the late 60s, people would have clicked onto. Oh, yeah. Um, Rowan and Martin. Yeah, Rowan and Martin. Gee, that is that a long time la- ago. Laughing. Do you reckon? <laughs> laughing, we- yeah. We've just alienated 90% of our audience, I reckon, because right. I remember that as a little kid up to about the age of about five or six, I reckon. Very... Um, I- there's a famous sort of catchphrase from Laughing that could be applicable to our program. Hang on. Uh, was it, I see it, but I don't believe it? No, that, that was Get Smart. That, yes. Well, no. what was it? Tell me. Very interesting, uh, but yeah. stupid. The guy in the bushes used to stick his head out. Yeah, with but the German, w- German helmet. Yeah, got so it. So let's, let's be interesting, but not stupid. Okay, well, let's actually um, talk about what we're supposed to be. That was, a, that was a good nothing sort of start. Well, plenty of issues floating around. Um, the Anzac Day Eve and Anzac Day games obviously took us up to midweek. And now we've got a couple of teams settling up four days after they last played, which is interesting in itself. But one of the issues floating around out of Anzac Day, apart from the Bombers stinking it up, was uh, Brendan Goddard and his demonstrative um, chats with a couple of teammates. Uh, I've got my thoughts about it, but I'm interested in yours. Well, surely by this stage of what has been a long and storied career, we know that that is part of... BJ's makeup. I mean, he's been caught, especially at Essendon, he's been where I think he arrived, of course, with the club in turmoil and took a, a leadership role at a very early stage. Uh, I think it's been part of him at Essendon and certainly it's in Kilda there were elements of it. I'm not surprised by it. I don't think John Worsfold was phased by it and I don't think there's much of a story in it. Well, I agree. Yeah, I, I don't think the players, Zarakis and Joe Danaher, I don't think they were phased by it. Um, what always intrigues me with this thing is people say, oh, it's not a good look. What does that actually mean? I mean, okay, he could deliver that spray half an hour later when it's too late to do anything about it behind closed doors, but what does a not a good look mean? I mean, surely it only matters how it looks to the people who are on the receiving end of the spray. And... I reckon uh, th- there must be 50 times in each game of AFL football where a teammate says to another teammate, hey, you know, block or shepherd, or they they might do it and draw less attention to themselves. But does anyone really doubt that that happens on the field? I mean, Luke Hodge is pretty demonstrative with his leadership. But when he does it, everyone goes, oh, that's great leadership. Yeah, first of all, um, it's not new. He hasn't invented the wheel here. I remember a certain West Australian recruit playing for Richmond, getting disappointed with one of his teammates and punching him full on in the solar plexus. Is it Sheets? No, no, he was from WA. Oh, sorry, Mal Brown. No. Uh, Robert Wiley? <laughs> we could go through this for quite a while. <laughs> oh, come on. Peter Wilson. Oh, yeah, okay. Hey, who did he hit? I can't remember, but he definitely slugged a teammate while playing for Richmond. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, no, there's been various stories like that, isn't it? That's sort of an extension of this thing that... I've seen a full-on brawl at an intra-club. Between teammates? At St Kilda, yeah. Had it happened down the race as they were heading in at half-time. Oh, go on, who was it? Rex Hunt and Neil Basengo. Really? It started as a push and shove, and they could barely be separated. Wow. I bet it wasn't 
a debate about kicking technique because neither of them were stylists, were no, they? No, Neil Basenko <laughs> no, no, particularly had, a, had an awkward style. And, of course, I saw – and I was there for both both times when uh, Stuart, uh, pardon me, Tony Lockett got reported oh, in yeah. intra-club games. Yeah, it was one of them, David David Whitty. Whitty. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, I remember that. This is – sorry, this isn't remember when with Finey and Roko. This is – No, uh, but it just, shows that, it just shows that within a club – it's not just it's it's the competitive drive that these blokes have, and this happens at all levels, will sometimes spill out amongst teammates. It's just the nature of being part of a team. Well, so, yeah, I was going to say. I mean, it's, an extension of that is this sort of thing, you know, breathless reporting of you know two teammates who don't get on or whatever. Uh, you know, newsflash: you got forty-five guys on a list. They're not all going to be the greatest of mates, are they? But they're in a professional. Work environment. I mean, in that sense, is no different to an office, is it? You will find at the end of careers, probably the greatest animus a player has looking back will be for a teammate rather than an opponent. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, that's that's a very good point. The opponents all seem to be best buddies. Um, yeah, that's right. So we agree on that one. Bit of a storm in a teacup. Uh, you wanted to talk about the Sam Powell Pepper. Uh, saga, which I think it can now officially be called a saga. It's dragged on a fair while. That, to me, is not a storm in a teacup. Mm. Well, we, from what regard? From the dangerous path that is trod by any organising body, any governing body, who decides that they will become a social arbiter, a, 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 have a moral... Have a moral code or a set of behaviours that they want to apply to all, all participants in that competition is very difficult to do. So mm. this has seen, uh, obviously people, most people know what's happened. Sam Powell people went out, uh, had a boozy night, and he claims may have uh, touched a girl on the behind. Is that correct? Is that where we're left with Sam's version of events? Uh, I hadn't heard him say that, but, um, yeah, something to that end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's not certain of it because of his state of inebriation, but the AFL has found it inappropriate for a player to be uh, interacting with a female like that. Okay, maybe a code can be drawn up for respect for women. Understood, understand that, but also found it inappropriate that an AFL player be out in the public space in such a state of inebriation. That to me has got warts all over it. Rowan, what do you reckon? Um, yeah, no, I, I tend to agree um, because you're the thing of without seeing how the uh, pass of the the rules of the game or on the player contracts are written word for word, that it comes down to that thing about who is the arbiter of what's inappropriate. Now, don't get me wrong by that. Of course, you can't touch touch people uh, without their consent. But um, it, it's, a, it's, it's not necessarily a black and white area. The other thing it makes me think is, um, and you know, Koshi has obviously ramped this up by getting on the front foot and saying that the AFL refused to look at the CCTV footage they had and, and which cleared, allegedly cleared Powell Pepper, but the AFL seemed to be spectacularly bad at managing outcomes whenever it's something beyond the actual game. And I go back to, and we're not going to labour over this, but the whole Essendon saga thing, part of the reason that became an absolute debacle was they tried to manage the outcomes and in doing so stepped outside the due process. And I think this could be another example of that where they're trying to arrive at a a sort of convenient pat conclusion that causes the least um, controversy and, and uh, draws the least attention. And in doing so end up uh, forsaking those due processes and get themselves into even more trouble. I couldn't agree more. Managing outcomes is probably the most sterile version of what the AFL involves themselves with. And I must say that the height of that came under the sort of the uh, 
leadership of Demetriou and Fitzpatrick. I believe that they, in unison at times, generally, I think with each other's understanding, were trying to manage the outcome of the competition. Yeah, which, which goes well and truly beyond managing outcomes of uh, play behaviour or even maybe we're now seeing the current administration trying to manage outcomes for reaction to player behaviour. Yeah, and, you know, they've tried to have their cake and eat it too because on the one hand, they want to present the AFL as not just the administrators of a football competition, but a community body which delves into community leader, social issues. Community and, leaders. And, which, which I don't... I don't. Uh, I'm not overly cynical about that. I think. I think it is important for those sorts of organisations to be involved in, uh, you know, social issues. And I, I think, in some respects, there on you know things like racism, not necessarily homophobia, interestingly, but racism. I mean, they were with the um, yes, yes, and no vote. Yeah, that was very interesting. Uh, the Gill intimated that they would be party to the yes vote, and then. It was a slow burn, yeah. and a letter that was written by the mother of a gay local footballer that he responded to, saying that they indeed would be doing what they could to support the yes vote, was made public, and then his hand was forced. Yeah. And ultimately, the AFL did publicly support the yes vote. Yeah, they they were less sort of uh, enthusiastic about that one felt, but my my point is that they sort of want to present themselves in that regard, and yes. With that goes a uh, a duty to be very conscious of, you know, dotting the I's and crossing all the T's in a legal and, and civil rights sense. And here's where they trip over themselves because they're still applying old-fashioned sort of let's fix this up values to issues that can't do that. Well, if that makes, I didn't articulate that very well, but you know what I mean. I mean, the great danger for any individual, let alone any sporting body who embarks on a social agenda of, well, change for the better, let's just say. We'll put it in inverted commas. Okay, how do you... Because there's overlay, there's overlap, there's conflict, confliction of interest. Conflict of interest probably says it finally. Um, how do you marry up both of those? a convincing non-word, though, isn't it? It is. It sounds like it could be a word. Yeah, yeah. better than agreeance. Okay, so... <laughs> How do you marry up these two seemingly strong positions on on social awareness and, and social improvement? You know, social improvement that is a respect for um, people's religions, religious beliefs. So the AFL definitely has embarked on that when Basher Hawley approached the AFL about having prayer rooms at all the grounds. You would suggest that that would be a, a step by the AFL to respect religious beliefs. Is that would that be fair enough? Yeah. Well, how do you marry that up with uh, respect for one's right to choose to position one's you know oneself um, one's sexuality? So respect for an individual to make the choice to be straight, gay bisexual, etc. How do you marry those two things up? I imagine rugby is currently asking that question with Israel Folau. Yeah, it's a, it's a minefield. That's an absolute minefield. There's and the minefield that is a very dangerous one for a, an organisation not really positioned to be making those sort of sweeping sweeping comments and decisions because yeah. it's a football, it's a, yeah, yeah. it's a sporting body. Yep, yep. No, I agree with that. Now, I'm just going to put this out there. I wasn't going to. I've been umming and ahhing about this. This may be superseded by announcements on uh, Friday afternoon. However, I got some mail from a reasonably reliable source that the grand final is going to be held at a much later time slot, um, late afternoon, twilighty sort of time. Now, I'm really, really disappointed by this. I, I knew it would happen, but it's. Um, I just don't think there's any need for it to change. I think we have the perfect event. I don't think the ratings will be that much higher that it really matters that much, and I, I think they really could have held their ground with this one. Um, how do you feel about it? Okay. First of all, from the perspective of tradition and hanging on to, to tradition, 
it doesn't bother me that much. I, I just think that, what are we talking about? We're talking about a game that's going to be played. I'm, I'm trying to consider the actual mechanics of the game. It'll start in daylight. It'll have some time in twilight and end in darkness. Mm. Is that good for football? We've had games like that before. It's not ideal because there's dew around potentially at that time. I'm not certain it's the best thing for football. So I, I don't worry so much about the timing of the game. For example, if the game started in pouring rain and ended in pouring rain at 2 o'clock or f- 2 to 5 or 5 till 8, then it's the same game. Mm. But it's not the same game between 2 and 5 and 5 and 8 on a, on a cloudless day in Melbourne at that time of the year because there's dew and it's just the game morphs into something different while it's being played. Which is the most important point, and it routinely gets overlooked. The people who are pushing it, inevitably the broadcasters, media groupies, etc., only ever say, oh, well, you know, tradition, tradition, as the counter-argument. It is more than that. Now, there's a reason that every single time um, players and fans are polled, they resoundingly say they want it to stay a 2.30 game. And in the players' case, it's not about, well, it might be to an extent sitting around all day, but it's far more about the conditions. And yes, there have been fantastic games played at night, including finals. However, 90 players out of 100 will say to you that the optimum playing conditions, given no rain, are in the daytime because you do get due and the all ball the, handling all the, becomes more difficult. All the night time, but the combination of two of the the crossover period can be tricky. There's mm. no question it can be tricky. Even, so, so, even the light light is tricky. You know, I went to a game oh, it would be six or seven years ago, St Kilda Richmond Twilight game at the MCG, and they seemed uncertain when to turn the lights on. And the second quarter was played in way too dark conditions. It was there was just a dull, a dull lack of brightness, and the lights didn't come on till half time. They're not, the crossover is difficult to define. And there's a reason you're not hearing about this. It's because the broadcasters, I, I reckon, know that if you know the players really sort of came out and said, "This is why we don't want a a, a twilight or night grand final," that people go, "Yeah, hang on, you're right." It's the most important game of 207 games of the year. We should do everything we possibly can to maximise the optimal playing conditions. And the, and fact, it, yeah. the fact that we would risk compromising that just so the entertainment looks more spectacular right. so entertain- really annoys me. So here we go, the entertainment. Pre-game is exactly the same because it's during daylight, correct? There can be no... Correct, yeah. All right. We already do a post-game now, which okay. works well. Post-game... Uh, we've been told how spectacular it'll be when the game is over, presentation with fireworks. If you need a light show after the game, go to a nightclub. But what concerns me, it would look good. No question it'll look good at night, the presentation. Okay, fine. Is people saying that they can really do something, ramp up the halftime show, which means that people are already, if they're calling it the halftime show, because we don't have a halftime show in AFL football, they're really thinking about the NFL, and they're spectacular. Now, look, whilst I have concerns about the condition, uh, the changing ground condition during a twilight game, under no circumstances will any game, should any game, or can any game be allowed to be played with different break times. And if they want to put on a halftime show... Well, it will. No, I'm saying if they want to put on a halftime show, uh, the current break time, the current break for halftime is 20. twenty minutes. If they want to extend that to thirty or thirty-five, that completely changes the nature of Australian rules football, with warm down, etc. It cannot be allowed to happen. It will. End story. Yeah, I know, but it it will finally because well, that 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 has to be where the, that has to be where the the complaint centres and and complaints centre. It's just wrong. And, yeah, I mean, look, we'll, we'll wrap this up. But, I mean, finally, this is just about appeasing broadcasters for we don't really know how much more um, people, how many more people will watch because it's at a later time. I suspect it would be a minimal difference between the ratings day and night. And the other element to that is the people that would watch it who would watch it at that time but wouldn't during the day game. Are they people that are ever going to follow the game properly anyway? 
Um, so your point is a really, really good one. But the, the other thing is, it's, a, it's again this goldfish mentality. So what happens with the, um, say, the Super Bowl, right? But there's this huge thing about the halftime show and, oh, yeah, you know, Madonna was much better than Coldplay, blah, blah, blah. Five years down the track... Always it, Coldplay gets the negative from you. Yeah, yeah, I was, it's my go-to. But five years from now, will people be talking about that or, or will they talk about, oh, gee, the um, Patriots won the game with that incredible last play. It's like, think about AFL Grand Finals. Apart from Meatloaf and, you know, the and Angry Anderson or whatever, how many people can say, oh, yeah, that year we had this bloke? That, but you can say that year Hawthorne and Sydney played the greatest grand final arguably ever. It, it's it's this here and now thing that takes no regard of the, the cultural, historical elements of the game, but more importantly and, and more tangibly... It compromises the um, the game routine of the players, as you say. There would be a longer halftime break, and it. How does that play out with the concussion rule? If a player gets well, something they'd have to consider. Needs, you know, it comes under scrutiny for a hit before halftime. Yeah, that extends the breakout further. Well, they'd have to change it to you know minutes rather than playing time, wouldn't they? But, you know, both our points here are important. They don't go to tradition or anything like that. They're about actual playing conditions. So, like I said here, what we're talking about here could be superseded by an announcement of this decision or not. But I don't often go with sort of, you know, what mail I've got. But but this is reasonably solid. So, and don't, And if it doesn't come to fruition, I would never, ever in my life be so happy to be wrong as on this one. You know what, if, if the game doesn't have a voice, the game itself can't speak, can it? But if the game could speak, I think I know what its voice would sound like. What would <laughs> no respect, no respect at all, I tell you. I, I can't get no respect. All right, we'll move on. On Footyology Media Watch. Okay, here's the segment that all our peers turn on and they, uh, they brace themselves and uh, get ready to slag us off finally. I think we've been reasonably constructive in this uh, arena as well, but um, it is going to be hard at times not to come across like grumpy old men, or I shouldn't speak for you, grumpy old man. In my case, even though I am one, I wanted to put a couple of things on the agenda. One, um, one is about what I call not seeing the forest for the trees. The other one is about um, media cheerleading. Now, not seeing the forest for the trees. Now, yes, we just talked about the Brendan Goddard issue. But one of my pet peeves about football coverage in the media these days is the way that the news elements out of a game um, and the way that they are reported and followed up on so outweighs the news consequences of the game. Now, this isn't about, oh, you know, match reports are redundant because everyone's seen the game on TV anyway. I'm not, I disagree with that, but this isn't about that. What I'm saying is, I think the biggest story out of Anzac Day afternoon wasn't Brendan Goddard unloading on his teammates. It was Essendon's insipid performance. Now, once upon a time, not all that long ago, that in itself, you know, we talk about back page lead, uh, you know, the back page lead would have been, you know, bombers shocking or, um, you know, wars file. We're, we're, how do we get out of this? That is a big news story in the context of that game. But it seems like media, and I guess I'm concentrating on newspapers here, that is sort of deemed too obvious or something. So it's got to be some news element that comes out of the game. And what happens is you get, a, uh, a a cavalcade of stories, two or three sometimes, on the one little news element out of the game. And what you don't get is a decent analysis of the result and what that means for the competition. All right, let me let me play the role of defending the newspaper here. Yeah, defending the trees or the forest. I'm not quite sure who. Uh, you're defending the trees. Okay. Uh, by let's let's just take our situation today. We're uh, putting this down on Friday morning, and by Friday morning, we felt that the time was up for match review. So we're not really looking at the two games played Tuesday night, Wednesday. Mm. 
Is it not the case with the newspaper that as soon as the game's over, say the Herald Sun will go online with their stories of the game, so they'll do the max reviews then. There's afl.com.au, do a full max review. Mm. And journalists that know that they're going to be picked up and read on Thursday morning, uh, throughout the day on Thursday, in fact, are looking for the story out of the game because the report of the game has already been written up. Now, I'm not saying that that's the right way to go because the the newspaper headline, back page, to me, is still the most read and most easily identified headline out of the game. So what's in big, bold and black on the back page of the Herald Sun of the Age should still be the overview of the game, mm. but is the pressing nature of or the immediacy of reporting through online reporting forcing the next morning to look for the next story. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point, and there's, there is some element of, of uh, truth in that. Um, I don't know if it's always that conscious, to be honest. Sometimes I think it's more a consequence of fewer people with the capacity to analyse the game. But uh, what I would argue is uh, you could still do that, what you're saying, and, and sort of have a more contemporary story for the print edition that focuses focuses on the game, and and an example to me would be, okay, the game happens online, goes the match report. You know, this is how Essendon got smashed. So, that, so to you, for, let me just try and guess. For you, the headline could have read "Frustrated Bombers Beaten Up at the G," and that could incorporate the frustrations that spilled over for Goddard, but still talk about the game. Yeah, yeah, but what? Yeah. But what I was going to say was, you know, addressing what you're saying, you could have a um, progression of angles that are focusing on the game. So the immediate one that goes up online is, you know, pies smash bombers, here's how it happened. Pick up the paper the next morning, and because someone's had a, a bit more time to drill down on the numbers and whatever, it could look at how Collingwood... You know what I mean? Because every match report, and I love writing match reports... But given how quickly they they sort of have to be presented now, it's difficult to get much detailed analysis. But in the print version, you might have a couple of a couple of extra hours maybe, and look at those numbers and say, well, this is where they beat them. And I right, think so you could still get a news story out of that. So you're looking for deeper analysis, yes. using the two hours for deeper analysis. Yes, where I'm suggesting that a sports editor might say, there's a story out of this game. Let's not make that the single focus let's make that the the sort of um identifiable part of the max review so i've gone with frustrated bombers no max for pies the g yeah and in that you could still be reviewing the game but presenting the brendan goddard angle yeah. as part of the on-field reaction to Essendon's disintegration, or you could do it separately, and and you I'm know, saying, but yeah, yeah, that's a choice. Yeah, of- yeah, and and I'm not saying for a moment the Goddard stuff isn't newsworthy because it is, but I think what happens is there's a real, to me anyway, despite the expansion of the game coverage, there's a real paucity of of that analysis, and I, you know what, like I'm digressing a bit here, but. Um, I've done a fair bit of fill-in posting at SEN lately, and I've done a couple of times now the Pure Footy Hour with David King and Glenn Luff. And I find it really fascinating because I, I think it's it's a longer-form discussion about trends in the game. And I think sometimes, uh, again, I stress I'm not having a go at him, sometimes Kingy in that Fox footy environment probably doesn't get enough time to, to articulate a context for the stats. But in that particular hour... I think there is, and it helps having uh, Luffy from Champion Data there as well. And presented that way, it really does increase your understanding of why teams and how teams play the way they do. And I think the fans would lap that up. And I, I think, you know, maybe I'm listening to the wrong people, but I get a sense the fans are really frustrated at the lack of depth of coverage of games. Okay. Uh, we now touch on something that is close to my heart. Yep. Because I realised when I joined Media and was spent um, a great deal of time reviewing games and analysing games on SEN that not having played the game 
being, in some people's minds, a negative, that I needed to watch as much football as I could. Much to the chagrin of my partner and my children, there I was just watching a hell of a lot of football. Still do, out of habit. So maybe I've got an eye and an ear for this where the general public doesn't. But I strongly suggest the general public starts to become a little, uh, much more, in fact, picky and be able to identify what I'm currently going to throw up. And that is that the demands on a former footballer or a young journalist coming up when talking about football are great. And there's almost an assumption, uh, I know this from my time on radio, uh, a former footballer will be, be rarely asked, did you watch this game? It's somehow assumed that anybody talking about football post post uh, the last game of the round has seen all the football from the round mm. so what we've got uh very for some people transparent techniques to make them appear uh, that they've seen all the games and we've got a lot of people talking about football who have not seen the games some of them have just seen the highlights some have read a match review some have only just looked at the score some have seen the best players and they become adept at cobbling together max reports or discussions on games that they simply have not seen. Now, why not, ma- not match reports? You can't do that. You can't not see a game write a match report. No, right? not write. I'm talking about being on radio and, and yeah, TV. Yeah. They've read max reports. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Okay, so they've yeah. read the max report. Some have not even done that. Yeah. Now, why? If if the public knew that. Surely you would not be sitting back, oh, he's a great footy, you know, I'm going to listen to this footy analysis. Mm. What if you found out that a lot of the footy analysis that you're hearing is coming from people who have not seen the game that they're talking about? You wouldn't listen to it for a minute, would you? But but people are becoming adept at paraphrasing, parroting, joining a discussion and sort of um, rewording what's already been said in the discussion. Yeah. And really we need to be better in our choices and try and identify people that actually have watched the game fully and have the power to analyse as rather people who are being thrust in the position of us being asked an opinion and they're asked an opinion on something they haven't seen. Yep, no, I agree totally and I think the former players are often more guilty of that than the journo types. I, will, I think there are plenty of journos that do it as well. Yeah, no, you're probably right. Um, I will throw up... Um, so I just mentioned Pure Footy with David King and Glenn Luff. I know those guys watch every game. Yep. The other former player type who I know watches every game is Terry Wallace. Yeah, correct. Uh, well, I know Terry does. I'm not sure how many other people, journos or former players, watch every game. I can tell you I watched every game in my time at SE and... I was forced to, but I had a technique. Okay, I'll tell you exactly what happened. Yeah, no, I know. I know you've told me how yeah, you... So well, fr- to tell the listeners. So Friday night football, I always obviously watched in full because I was straight on afterwards doing talkback. And callers very quickly would be able to latch on to anybody who didn't watch the game in full. You know, did you see this, this, yeah. this, and that No question. Come the Saturday game, I had a bit of a problem because if I was umpiring, I wouldn't generally leave where I was umpiring till 2 o'clock. So I tended to leave the early game alone yeah. and we watched the game that started around 3 o'clock. On Saturday? On Saturdays. Isn't it like t- there's one forty-five, two ten? Yeah, the 2 ten, oh, the two ten game I'd, I'd try and yep. jump onto. Yeah. But there was often an earlier game. I'd leave that one alone. Yeah. Uh, that two ten game, there was sometimes a Saturday twilight game. Yeah. That... If it was an interesting game, I'd watch maybe the second half of it, but I'd leave it alone. Yeah. And then I'd watch one of the Saturday night games. So, Didn't try to watch two at once? No. Uh, Unless they were really interesting games, I wanted to see what was happening. Yeah. But for analysis purposes, no. Yeah. Using my IQ, I would then have three or two and a half games to watch. Yeah. Now, I had become adept at watching a full game of football for analysis purposes, in about 25 minutes. Well, there's a, I know there's a whole lot of former players thinking, now I can tell them, what's, what's your, this is like Colonel Sanders' seven secret herbs and spices. How do you do it? Well, it's if you've got IQ on your, first of all, you need Foxtel, obviously. Yeah. But if you've got IQ, you can fast forward. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of downtime in a game of football. There, yeah. there clearly is a lot of downtime. And there's also, 
for me, the keys to analysing a game of football is watching all the scores, watching every centre clearance, and watching all the stoppages. Yeah. So just by fast-forwarding at six times speed through all the downtime, you know, that's after the goal, et cetera, et cetera. And it's got to be six because any faster and you risk missing Correct. stuff. But then, if you go twelve or thirty, that's right. Yeah. And then, but then, even in play, I would use the two times speed. Yeah. If teams are just chipping the ball around, you know, I just I, what I tried to do was condense the game down in the shortest period. Yeah. And I was able to turn every game into twenty-five to thirty minutes. That's all. Yeah. That's so you can reduce it by three quarters. Yep. Yeah. And I and I was not missing. I believe not missing any important parts of the game. Then, then again, it slows down again because any contentious decisions, and by then, I would know when the contentious decisions were. I could watch up to ten times. Yeah. yeah. In super slow mo, which is not shown on TV. So if they show it in slow motion, yeah, with IQ, I can then take it down. Six times even slower than that. I, you know, I'm, I'm just chuckling because I, I'm sort of thinking there's almost a, a skill in learning how to watch something on fast forward, Absol- isn't it? Yeah, I, my own. I had honed that. It's a business opportunity for you. I had honed that. There you go. <laughs> I had honed that skill over, you know, four or five years because yeah. that's how long I think I've had IQ, or even longer now, seven or eight years. Yeah, it's an absolute skill. You know, I have to kick the kids out of the room. Yeah, because it takes real concentration. concentration yeah, no, no, I've, I've I've done that, and I do do that. Uh, here's so a that question. way, so that way, by the end of Saturday night, I've watched every game for analysis purpose. Yep, and I'm done before midnight. Um, which is pretty good. This has been a really interesting. This, hey, just quickly, are you better off? I'm a long time Foxtel user. If you're watching a game, um, and you may want to go back over it, are you better off? Just using the live pause and rewinding, or should you put it on the planner and IQ it later? Oh, you've got to IQ it. Because if you do live pause... See, if you do live pause and you dumb. sit on the wrong button and yeah. you change channels, you lose the game. Yeah, right. Yeah, got it. Yeah, okay. You lose your spot. You know, if you pause it, you lose your spot. You come back 40... I had, you have to record every game. And again, because sometimes things would come up. So I'd watch a game... I'd watch the two Saturday night games. Yeah. The second Saturday night game... I'd know the score, but I'm watching basically totally uninformed. Yeah. All right. If if by Sunday morning, the world's a buzz with something. Yeah. And I've seen it happen, but I've seen oh that's an that's an incident. You know, it's like the Dangerfield um, cruiser incident last year. Yeah, now yeah. that was a game. There were two games. There's Sunday afternoon. Yeah. You have a choice of games. And, yeah. And my my choice is influenced whether or not the team I barrack for St Kilda is playing. So. That Carlton Geelong game, I remember watching that Cruiser Dangerfield incident and thinking, yeah, all right, Dangerfield's in a bit of trouble. But, of course, it exploded into mm. one of the biggest, most discussed match review panel moments of the season. So I, had to, I went back and watched that over and over and over and over again. Mm. And I was, that's good because I had it on, I had it as part of my planner and I hadn't wiped it and that game's... Those games sit there till the next week. So basically, you know, I've got them there for four or five days. All right. Well, um, there's a couple of things I want to get on to that we've run out of time for because this was such an interesting discussion. And I'll consider that my media watch as well. So Yeah. No, no. Well, I hope you did because we've already run over time. Yep. So keep uh, your powder dry on what you were going to do. I'm going to keep my powder dry on the second thing I was going to raise. And that means we're all set for next week's show. So don't miss media watch next week. I can tell you now it's going to be a ripper. Let's move on. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Right, you heard it. We're going to zip through these. Round six kicks off Friday evening at Etihad Stadium. Western Bulldogs take on Carlton at 7.50pm. Finey, who wins? I'm going to tip the Bulldogs in this one. If Carlton loses, it'll be their worst start to a season ever, 0-6. and six. They haven't been totally hateful in their games. There's been little bits of encouragement, but the Bulldogs, a terrible performance last week. The week before it Eddie had against Sydney, I thought was their best game of the year. So I'll defer to the fact that I think Bulldogs can pull it together at the ground. I agree. Carlton can't afford to miss one, let alone two key players. And uh, no Gibbs. Uh, no Gibbs. No Gibbs because he went to Adelaide. No Murphy and no Cruiser means they lose here on the Friday night stage. 
Carlton for uh, Western Bulldogs for both of us. Jeez, I'm doing well. Saturday afternoon, this for me, uh, equal game of the round billing, I think. Geelong taking on Sydney down at the Cattery or GMHBA Stadium, as it's known now, 1.45pm. Both sides injury afflicted. Uh, gee, the Swans have won their last two down there. They've got a better record down there than any other club, but the outs, Franklin out. That is massive. I'd say right at the moment, that's a bigger out than anyone else could have. And uh, coupled with Dan Hanabry, uh Cat's missing a few too, but uh, they're coming off a better performance. It's at home, and their injuries are less costly. Cats will win. Each week, I'm going to come up with what GMHBA stands for. Okay, quick. Well, this week, it's Geelong may have better apprentices because... Oh, that's good. Because it's the second tier of player that is going to decide this game, and... Uh, I just think Geelong may have that better covered. So you, you are very good on your feet, Vaughnie. I'll give you that. Thank you. Which gave you the capacity to come in for your show at SEN every night at about five past seven. That's the best way to do radio, <laughs> mate. Um, all right. Un, un, unfettered and un, un, inf, non-influenced by what precedes me. No, it, it worked well. It just caused your 27 producers to each have a nervous breakdown. Good. Um, I didn't have a nervous <laughs> breakdown. Okay, let's let's uh, not go there. Okay, uh, <laughs> we've lost our timekeeper temporarily, so we're going to have to uh, keep keep moving on. North Melbourne takes on Port Adelaide at two ten Saturday afternoon, Eddie Had Stadium. This suddenly looming as a fantastic game. North was sensational against the Hawks. I love the way they're proving people wrong. Um, they're playing really entertaining footy. They're potent up forward, loving the brown weight combination. Power been really disappointing now the last two weeks. Um, bad luck for Hamish Hartlett Huge too. Huge blow for Hamish. He sort of played all his career with niggling injuries. Hasn't quite been fit, but been able to get on the ground just about every week. But no, getting on the ground after this ACL done during the week. Ripping bloke too. He's a really nice guy, yeah, Hamish. So uh, all the best, Hamish, if you're having a listen or someone part, please pass on our best to him. Uh, who wins? I'll go for North Melbourne. I, I, I like... The fact that North Melbourne, and more power to them, Brad Scott has not fallen into the trap of other coaches. He likes to play a tagger for some reason. And he's got the best in the business. Yeah, for some reason, other coaches feel that tagging is passe. Well, you know what? I think Port Adelaide's only really got two dangerous players at the moment, Gray and Wingard, so... If he can quickly identify who looks the most dangerous on the afternoon, Jacobs will short-circuit that player and North will win. I'm going for Port only because I tipped them to reach the grand final. I think they're better than they've shown the last two weeks. And don't get me wrong, Roos fans, I love what your side is doing. All right, Twilight Saturday, 4.35, GWS Brisbane. I think the best indicator of what happens in this game is the fact that Brisbane are resting Luke Hodge. Okay, they're not conceding the game, but I think that's them saying we're unlikely to win this game. Interesting, at the selection table, the GWS have omitted Dawson Simpson. Yes, No Rory Lobb. Does Dawson Simpson miss because he's not playing well? Well, he wasn't great against St Kilda, but he still rucked, chopped out against Hickey for what it was worth. I think he gets dropped because they're trying to find a useful position in the team for Patton. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, he's really struggling, isn't he? GWS will win this game. I, I think that's um, accepted in all circumstances, bar a major upset. So I'll go the favoured way, but interesting selection. It is. Uh, yeah, and no, I'm with you. They'll win very well. But um, a comment on current scheduling too, that their first game at their true spotless stadium home comes in round six, yep. which is more than the Gold Coast. Um, now, this is an interesting one too. Uh, Hawthorne taking on St Kilda Saturday evening. Um, down at Aurora Stadium. We haven't had to... Oh, the Hawks haven't played too many night games no, no, down there. Right. Um, and, of course, last year the Saints absolutely hammered them down there. It was there. about round six as well. Yeah. Um, so that, this makes this the one-year anniversary of Josh Bruce's miss. Oh, yes. Wasn't that a ripper? Uh, just quickly, I yeah, the Hawks... I, I did... I hate to say, I told you so, and it's not rocket science... But uh, Puopolo and Rioli out really, really hurt them last week. And Burgoyne comes back this week, might be a touch underdone, but now they've lost Sicily, another key, uh, structurally a key part of the 
engine and Shields, who is really important to them now. So um, they are four major outs in structural terms, and I think the Saints were, were terrific against the Giants, and I think they'll sense a real opportunity here. So I'm going for an upset. I'm tipping the Saints. You know what, St Kilda really should win this. There's, I saw it last week against North. There's too much filler in the Hawthorne team. Down the bottom end, and is that like a Beatles album? Sorry, stupid. Do you I, reckon I, there was too much filler? In oh, Beatles they had albums? too many novelty songs on every album. Yeah, no, possibly so. So, take the novelty out of the Hawthorne team. Not enough quality, and I know it will be an upset as per the odds. But I think St Kilda should win this game, and I'll tip them. Both going for the Saints. All right, Saturday concludes. With uh, 7.40 p.m. Adelaide time, the Crows at home taking on the Suns. Uh, look, Crows fantastic last week. They had to be. You know, they've been a bit up and down, but I, I thought we saw them at their best uh, in that win over the Swans at the SCG. They can be a really hard, hard team when they need to be. And uh, they get Matt Crouch back this week. They do lose uh, Kelly, um, which is a blow for them defensively. Hardigan as well. So their def- defence will be tested, actually, because Lynch, um, Lynch, uh, et cetera, in the Seven Suns' forward line. Yeah, no, that's, oh, I was thinking of wasn't coming to mind. But Crows at home, um, they have to back up that performance now. I reckon they'll win pretty comfortably. Big challenge for me will be trying to watch this game in sub-25 minutes because this will be one that I'll be watching in... Post play, (laughs) and I'll be watching an Adelaide win as well. All right, let's move on to Sunday now. uh, The Bombers four day break for them, not not great preparation up against uh, the Demons. Five day break for them, both sides stinking it up on the Anzac Eve and Anzac Day stage. Um, This is a tough call. Melbourne lost twenty two in a row at Etihad Stadium, but they've now won three of their last four there, so they play the ground better. I think it suits a uh, an attacking running style, which they really have to recapture. They, they got sucked into the stoppages against Richmond and really weren't creative enough. They're really missing a bit of energy and vibrance. Um, Kobe Mutch will make his debut for the Bombers, who were bloody awful on Anzac Day. I'm giving him one last chance, finally. I reckon the Dons can win. Thank you very much. I'll... <laughs> it's M-U-T-C-H, isn't it? It is. And it is Mutch? It is Mutch. Interesting. And it's Kobe. I This is a game Melbourne should win, really, if you have a look at the outs and uh, the respective teams on paper. They're very good at losing games. They should win Melbourne, but I'll tip them with an asterisk, and that is if they lose this, they'll be part of my never again next week. Okay. Uh, now, this is a ma- equal uh, match of the round billing for mine. Uh, the Pies, now winners of their last three, and uh, pretty... Decent in the uh, last one they lost, too, against GWS. So four decent performances out of five. Take on the Tigers, going absolute great guns at the moment. Uh, Tigers, five-day break. Pies, four-day break. So can I just ask a question? Given that we've almost locked in Melbourne Richmond as Anzac Eve yeah, and Collingwood Essendon Anzac Day, yeah, are we now facing almost a guarantee of those four teams meeting each other in the next round? Yes, well, perhaps going surely you couldn't you couldn't not do that. Well, unless it falls on the Saturday, unless it's a sort of Saturday, Friday, Sunday. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, Anzac Day. But if it's a midweek Anzac Day game, yeah, then we are guaranteed the next week of those four teams sort of uh, swapping roles. Pretty much. Who's going to win? Oh, good. I'm MCG. Yep. Richmond. Where else are going to be? I was just saying. Um, Until further notice, pen me in. I think the Pies can push them and have frequently. Um, but, yeah, Tigers, uh, best team in the comp by some margin at the moment. I think they'll win again. And underrated as really the best rivalry football's ever had. Yes, yes. Um, and round six wraps up at Optus Stadium, 4.40pm Perth time, uh, 6.40pm East Coast time. The Dockers. And the Eagles, and this is a game in which the Eagles have definitely held sway in recent times. Who wins this one? The Eagles. Nothing more than that? You know, Dockers have been good this year. They have. I just think that uh, the Eagles are a bit better, and I heard Nick Natanui speaking after last week's game. He's been given limited game time, and he said that he's actually ready with uh, the game coming up against Fremantle to 
play the full complement, you know, not 100%, but whatever is the full complement for Ruckman. So um, I expect Nat Nui to be unleashed against Sanderlands. That will be great to watch. It will. Uh, always worth watching the derby, uh, no matter where they are on the ladder. That's the Perth version. I'm going for the Eagles as well. Dockers have been good, but the Eagles are the better side. And Tabner is a loss. He is a big loss, and neither of us would have thought we could ever say that even six months ago. So well done, Matt Tabner. Um, but Eagles mine. Let's come back to wrap it up. On Footyology, never again. All right, uh, my one's easy this week. Um, I hate saying this, but I am zero for five in terms of tipping my team this year. Didn't tip Essendon the two games they won, did tip them the three games they lost. So it was with some trepidation I've tipped the Bombers against the Demons. And if they go under Finey, never again will I tip Essendon this season. Oh, that's not quite never again, but uh, that would be... Your way of trying to help them win, would it be to not tip them? Uh, I didn't even think that through. Apl- but applying some... Reverse psychology. Exter- some external I don't know. Don't overthink it. Come on, give us yours. Oh, mine's actually a little bit serious. It oh. is a never again for the AFL website, the leading Australian rules website on the planet, afl.com.au. Now, it might be different through their app and various other ways of reading the website, but last night, as soon as the teams were named... And I do this every Thursday. I go to the website for the ins and outs and the full teams. All right. Here's uh, an example. I actually don't have an example. But basically what they did last night is wrong, wrong, wrong. Don't ever do it again. Well, and that is it. into the side. Let's say St Kilda. Out Hunter Clark. Yeah. In Webster. New players. And they named a couple of new players that had never played before. For every team, the new players included the three players on who were emergencies. So if there were any players named as an emergency who'd never played for the club before... In a Saturday game. In all games. If there, was any play, if there were any players who'd never played for the club before but were named emergencies, they were listed as new players. Well, that, that's rice for a Sunday game on a Thursday night. Interchange they, from. Yes. No problems. Yeah. They did it for all nine games. Yeah, no, that's wrong. It's just stupid. Yeah. Um, some uh, outlets now have the outs without explanation, so they don't know if guys have been injured that's right. or dropped, which well, that, is also well, that, stupid. That happens, I think, at afl.com.au when they are instantly... The first naming. I accept that. They want to get them out first. Yeah. And better to put correct information than misinformation. No problems with yeah. that, but he's not a new player if he's named as an emergency. That's a, a, that's a team's version of Tim Webster, Nathan Buckley... Resigns. resigned after the news <laughs> Collingwood star Nathan Buckley resigns and on that media watch esque note uh, we bid you a fond farewell have a great weekend of footy everyone and uh, don't forget to subs- subscribe to the footyology YouTube channel footyology TV coming to you again on Sunday night for a comprehensive wrap up of round six we shouldn't assume everybody knows what we know as we certainly don't know what everybody else knows so when Tim Webster said, back after the news, Nathan Buckley resigns, it was quite funny when we returned after the news and he said, Colin Star, Nathan Buckley has resigned for three seasons. Yes, yeah, sorry, we did assume too much knowledge there. Um, great, have a great weekend, everyone. We'll see you soon.